Grace, mercy, and peace to you this morning from God our Father, His beloved Son, Jesus Christ, and the Holy Spirit who calls us into fellowship. Uh, today we celebrate Rally Day, which is one of the beautiful festivals of the church. And someone asked, why is it called Rally Day? Well, the reason is because the church is being brought back together into uh, a, a normal, regular uh, church year. So after we went out and did a lot of things out there during the summer months, go on vacation and all of that, we come back and we resume regular service. And then the, uh, we start with uh, having Bible studies again and all these good things started happening again. So that's why we call it Rally Day. And I find it very interesting that we are talking about the cost of becoming a disciple during Rally Day. And what is, what is so uh, uh, fascinating about that is because one of the emphasis of Rally Day is Sunday school and Bible, Bible classes. And so we are coming around the Word of God so that we would train ourselves and develop ourselves into being good Christians. That is the essence of coming back and coming to, to Bible studies, and we are urging everyone to get involved. If you looked outside, I mean, out there in the, in the, in the uh, Northex area, there are a lot of tables set up with Bible studies on there that you could sign up to and be a part of those, those groups. We do that, we emphasize it, because it is needful for Christians to grow up and become disciplined in the Christian faith. And one of the primary ways through which that is done is through learning God's Word and knowing what the Word of God says. So last week, we looked at how a disciple worships at all costs. It was the emphasis of last week's message that a disciple worships at all costs. Uh, the emphasis of last week's part of our series was that Jesus must come first or become first before anything else in our lives. He must be first. And when Jesus says this in Matthew 6, 33, he is not apologetic about it. He wants to be first. He says in the text, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all the things will be added unto you. Jesus speaks through the Ten Commandments to us, and he tells us to worship nothing else but him. And so we need not put anything else before him. He must come first. And that was the idea that we carried in last week's message. The three main points of the message was that the Lord Jesus must be worshipped above the cost of, above the cost of our personal relationship. We talked about that. That is uh, our father, mother, brother, sister, whoever we have in our lives uh, that come in from a relational perspective. He is saying that Jesus is need, Jesus needs to be worshipped. That's what he's saying in the text, above all relationships. So nothing must stand in the way of the relationship that we have with Jesus Christ. We see this in the Muslim world, where when the Muslim comes to faith in Christ, uh, the family turns against him or her. And right now we are dealing with a situation like that in Pakistan, where we're trying to get this person out of there because the parents are hunting them to kill them because they turn into uh, to being a Christian. 
And so, so that relationship has suffered because of Jesus Christ. And this is what he is talking about as he speaks here. And so the next thing we talked last week about the personal reputation. The Bible tells us that we are not to love ourselves more than we love the Lord. And that's personal reputation. And so Jesus is telling us that he must be first, not us first. We don't look at us first about how we feel, how we think, how we process life or our culture or the, the society in which we live. But we must put him first and put his word above ourselves and our own agenda and all these things. The next thing we talked about, last thing we talked about last week was that uh, he says that we must uh, 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 talk about personal realization, that your re realization is no longer self-focused. Your realization is now Christ-focused, and that's where we need to emphasize it. The emphasis of text from last week's message was Luke 14, 23, I mean 26 and 27, where it reads, if anyone comes to me and does not hate a father and mother, wife and children, brothers and sisters, yes, even their own life, such a person cannot be my disciple. And whoever does not carry the cross and follow me cannot be my disciples. This was the text that we preached on last week. So that covers how a disciple must worship Jesus at all costs. Today, we want to talk about how a disciple must work at any cost. A disciple, a disciple must work at any cost. Look in Luke 14, 28 through 30. It reads, suppose one of you wants to build a tower. Won't you first sit down and estimate the cost to see if you have enough money to complete it? And if you lay the foundation and are not able to finish it, everyone who sees it will ridicule you saying, this person began to build and wasn't able to finish. Now, during Jesus' day, we need to understand that towers were constructed in the middle of the farm or the vineyard to protect uh, the vineyard from uh, thieves and to also protect the city from their enemies. So that was the reason why they constructed a tower in the middle of the vineyard. And so what Jesus is saying here is that our lives must be like a tower built to protect us from the enemy. We have to build our lives like a tower and construct it very well and finish it in the process so that we can be strong enough to withstand the storms of life. We can be strong enough to, re to withstand the enemy's attack upon us and all these things. And so that's what the idea about this carries. So in these passages in Luke, the Lord speaks first of a crucifixion and now he speaks today of a what? A construction. And last week he talked about a crucifixion to lay down our lives, to follow him. And in today's message, he's speaking of a construction. We are called to build. And this is an idea that every Christian must always remember, that we are called to build. In Ephesians 4, verses 11 and 12 reads, So Christ himself gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors, and teachers to equip his church for works of service, so that the body of Christ may be what? Built up. So that the body of Christ may be built up. That's why we are called. Every 
act that you carry out in the body of Christ, every place that God has called you to serve, the purpose for which you are there, is not to make yourself feel comfortable or make yourself feel good. The reason you are there is to build. It's to build up the body of Christ. And that's what we are, we are called to do. So the church gets built up when the praise team stands there and sing on Sunday mornings and your hearts are blessed by the message. Your hearts are blessed when Janet plays him religiously week after week for us. Your hearts are blessed. Your heart is blessed when Todd sits back there <coughs> and Mike in the back of that booth and they are trying to give us sound and make sure that we have display on the screens. You see, our hearts are being blessed. The church is being built up through these processes. So there is nothing that anyone does in the church that goes in vain. It is for the building up of the body of Christ. So God has a plan for our lives, and our lives have to be constructed by his plan and not by our plans. We have to understand this. He is the head of the church. We are the body. I asked you a question last week. What happens when you wake up one morning and then your body starts to give you plans that it has for its own self. How are you going to feel about that? It's going to scare you. You're going to get scared. You try to get as far away from that body as you can, if you can. Some, sometimes you know your body does some impulses and it does some movement that you, you didn't tell it to do. And you go, where did that come from? You know, because why? It scares you when those things happen. And it's the same thing with the body of Christ. We need to be living in the plans of God, living with the plans of God, living, listen, for the plans of God. That's what the church and every Christian ought to be living for. And so, <clears throat> so we need to focus on this. And now let's look at how our towers are to be constructed. First, it is to be spiritually conceived. Our towers should be spiritually conceived. Luke 14, 28. So suppose one of you wants to build a tower. Won't you first sit down and estimate the cost to see if you have enough money to complete it? So first, we must conceive the cost spiritually. All right? We're talking from a spiritual perspective. We must know that the kingdom of God is spiritual. We have to first know that. That's the first cost to coming into the body of Christ. Jesus Christ had a conversation with Nicodemus one night. And he comes to Christ and Jesus is telling him, you must be born again. And he's asking, what are you talking about? Am I have to, would I have to go into my mother's womb for the second time? Jesus says to him, no, 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 you don't understand this. What is of the spirit is spirit. And what is of the flesh is flesh. And sometimes we have not learned how to, uh, to, to, to differentiate between the two. And we make the two one. And we come to church with our humanistic ideas. We're not trying to learn God, to know God. But we come with the way we feel God needs to be worked out and how the church needs to run. We have our own plans laid out. God is not calling us to do this. He's calling us to follow him, to live after his will, to live in his plan. It's what he's called us to do. And that's what the church must be all about. We have to understand that it is a spiritual movement that God has called us to. You remember when Jesus called the 12 disciples, they came and did not even understand what this whole movement was about. As far as they knew it, they looked at it and they defined it as something physical. They did not see it as a spiritual movement. They saw it as a physical movement. 
And so many times, numerous times, they argued amongst themselves about who's going to be uh, on his right and who's going to be on his left and who's going to be the highest in his kingdom. And they argued about this thing because they did not know why Jesus came at that point. You see, the kingdom of God is spiritual, and the church needs to understand that. We must be aware that God has established a spiritual kingdom on the earth. When we, when we say the Lord's Prayer, we say, your, your kingdom come. That's a realization that God has come to the earth and that we are a part of that kingdom, all right? We are part of that kingdom. We have to understand this and walk in this reality. I remember the first time when I came to the U.S. to live here, my first concern was to know the laws. I needed to know the laws because I was not going to come here and get into trouble. I was, I was very concerned about that. And so every move I, I took, every step I took, I was looking for answers to how things are done. And I must tell you, because I did that, I've lived in this country for many, many years without getting into problems with the law. This is very important and unique. And when we come to the kingdom of God, I believe the church must come with the same, same kind of uh, idea to really get to understand how it works and know the, the law of the spirit and know how God functions and how he works. You cannot take the natural things and bring it into the spiritual things and try to reconcile it and expect it to work somehow. It doesn't work that way, my friends. The way it works is to know God. Paul says that I may know him and the power of his res resurrection. So Paul, one of his primary objectives was truly to know Jesus Christ. And that should be the desire that every Christian ought to have, to know Jesus. We have to understand what God is up to in his kingdom if we're going to be a part of it and work it and run it and get something out of it. We need to what? Know what God is up to. So full awareness regarding the kingdom of God, I want you to know today. Full awareness. First, the kingdom of God is not about eating and drinking, but righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. This is from Romans chapter 14, verse 17. Listen to it. The kingdom of God is not just about physical life. Many of us come in because we want to see what we can get from God to maximize our potential in this earthly realm. It is not about it. What Jesus came in here to do, my friend, and to accomplish is to give us eternal life. The life in the spirit, the life that he brings into a person that changes them. And scripture tells us that when that change happens, you become a new creation. That's the purpose for which Christ comes. And that eternal life is what takes us into heaven, and we spend eternity with God there. We have to understand. Second thing is, the kingdom of God suffers violence. Jesus says that in Matthew 11, verse 12. All right? Violence, he says, the kingdom of God from the day of John the Baptist had suffered violence. And violence take it by force. What is he telling us? That we need to be prepared to be ostracized by society. We need to be prepared uh, to be persecuted by society because of what we believe. And this is what is, we are not going to be liberals. We are going to stand as real orthodox Christians that stand by the faith, that stand by the word of God. We are not going to allow society's ideology to change who we are. 
We will stand for Jesus in season and out of season. We stand for him. That's what the church is about. And that's what our lives must be about. And they will come at us. They will try to push us aside. They will try to make us feel like we don't have sense. But even in the process of that, we need to stand for Christ. And the next thing is the kingdom of God is at hand. We must understand in Matthew 4, 17, Jesus says, the kingdom of God is at hand. What that means? That means is God's kingdom is already here. We're not waiting for it to come. When Jesus came into this world as a baby, the kingdom of God arrived on earth and has been here ever since. Now he is here in presence of his spirit, and that spirit lives in every heart in this room today who has given their heart to Jesus Christ. You may not feel it, you may not understand it, but just because you don't feel it or understand it doesn't mean the spirit of God is not in you. Once you are a baptized Christian, you cannot determine God's presence in your life by the circumstances you're going through. All right? He's there. And he's, he promises to be with you always, even to the very end of the age. God is going to be with you. He's there in person of the Holy Spirit. So as we gathered in church this morning, and we gather here all the time for worship, as we do that in our various areas of service in the church, you have to understand, folks, you are serving in the kingdom of God. It is not about us. It is about what he is doing in and through us. Next thing is the kingdom of God is, just said it, within you. It is within you, Luke 17, 21. Jesus says the kingdom is near you. And he says even within you, the kingdom of God is in you. All right? You don't go out looking for it. It is in you. Jesus is in you. He abides with us. If you want to search for Jesus, search for him in your heart. That's where it starts. And that's why Jesus talked about how he comes to the heart of every man. His job is to come to our hearts. And he comes to abide in our hearts. And that's where it starts. So to look for Christ, you don't look for him outside. You look for him within your heart. So those are the three things. So we just talked about how it is to be a spiritually conceived uh, mission. Let's now look at how it is to be a sacrificially constructed mission. Uh, uh, you, ha you have to be a, a sacrificially constructed disciple. In Luke 14, 28, same verse. Suppose one of, one of you wants to build a tower. Won't you first sit down and estimate the cost to see if you have enough money to complete it? The text also suggests to us that the work of a disciple must include three emphases. Here's the three emphases. Sacrifice, sacrifice, and sacrifice. That's the three emphases of a disciple or the work of a disciple. It includes sacrifice. You have to always be in sacrificial mode for the sake of the kingdom, for the sake of Christ. The idea is this. Jesus sacrificed his life on the cross for us, and we sacrifice our lives in service for his kingdom. That's what it is. Consider at times hardship. Consider at times persecution. Consider at times loneliness. Consider at times weariness. Consider at times sacrifice. <clears throat> or sometimes no recognition. You're serving in a very little area in the church where nobody even recognizes that you are doing this stuff. Okay? But you are a very unique part of the church. All right? So your little picky toes is just as important as your eye. You would not realize it until it gets cut off. Then you understand that how important that thing is. 
because now your balance is out of whack because that little peaky toes is gone. And so you have to understand that every part God places on the body is important. And all of you in here, you are important to the body of Christ. Some people would say stuff like, you know, uh, I, I don't fit in. I don't fit in. I, I, I can't do this. I can't do that. I don't like to be in front of people. I, 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 I. Okay? And you wind up not using or utilizing the gift that God has given to you as a result of the fact that you have, you have said in yourself, I can't do it. But let me tell you that the Bible describes the church as the body of Christ. And what that means is everyone who is plugged in is essential. Everyone who comes in is essential, and everyone who comes in has a part to play in the church. Coming and sitting on Sunday and walking away is not enough. I'm going to say it. I'm going to hit on some people's toes this morning. I'm sorry, but that's the gospel truth. All right? God wants us to get involved and do something for his kingdom and do something for his glory. So, so uh, what this literally means is we lay ourselves aside when God calls us. That's what it means. We lay ourselves aside when God calls. We ask the Holy Spirit to take over and we kill the I in us. All right? To become more like Christ, we have to consider the cost of killing the I in us. Or if you don't do it, the I in you will kill you. And you will not be able to do what God has called you to do if you put the I in front. There is only one I in the kingdom of God, and that I is the great I am. That's Jesus Christ. He is the only I. Everyone who comes in is a part of the kingdom. You are not an I. He is the only I, and we must remember that as we come in. So we just talked about how it is to be sacrificially conceived. It is to be sacrificially constructed. Lastly, let's look at how it is to be steadfastly completed. In Luke 14, 29, 30, it says, For if you lay the foundation and are not able to finish it, everyone who sees it will ridicule you, saying, This person began to build and wasn't able to finish. The whole objective of starting a building project is to finish it. That's the objective of starting a building project. It is to finish it. So Jesus says, if you are not able to finish it, he says, we, you will be ridiculed for not finishing. And in the church of Christ today, we, 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 we have so many half-built towers in the church of Christ that are causing others to laugh. So many half-built towers around the church today. We have Christians who have pulled out of the race, especially in this contemporary time, a lot of Christians have pulled out of the race. And when you talk to them, they start explaining to you how they used to be. They used to be in the choir. They used to be in this and used to be in that, but they are no longer. You have to understand, folks, that when Jesus brought you and baptized you and brought you into faith, the whole plan was to keep you in. All right? That's the plan. He says to the Father when he prayed in John 17, he said, you've given them to me, and no one is able to snatch them out of my hands. He doesn't want us to get snatched out of his hands. We should not allow the trials of life to push us out or push us away from the Lord. We should not allow the pleasure of life 
to push us out and push us out of the will of God. He has good plans for us. So we, 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 we have uh, Christians who have pulled out. We have uh, preachers who have quit and gone out to do something else. And I know a few that left the church, walked out, and went to do something else. We have some who no longer believe that the Bible is relevant. They sit in church uh, on Sundays. They don't believe that the scripture is relevant. They don't follow the precepts and concepts of the word of God any longer. We have some who quit long ago. They quit long ago, but they, are, they still come to church just making sure that their names are still on the roster. They still come to church, but they quit, all right? We have a lot of people who have walked away on God. And so Jesus is urging us to complete our towers and become strong in the faith. And so how do I complete my towers? Let me give you three reasons, then I'm going to sit down right over there. Three reasons. The first is get born again. The life of Christ, the life of the church, the life of the spirit begins with one being born again. And you'll be surprised that there are folks in church today who are not born again. You have not experienced the new life in Christ. And if you don't experience the new life in Christ, the inborn spiritual tendency to live for God will not be in you because you don't have the life of God in you. And that's why people struggle through the process. They look at church as they will look at any social club out there. They come to church when they can. They don't come, they come and it looks boring because the life is not in you. My friend, when the life of God gets in oppression, Oh, my God, it changes everything about that person. You're no longer the same. Your desire changes. Everything about you is different. That's what God does when he comes in. So being born again is a very intricate, essential part of coming into this life in the spirit and being a disciple of Christ. All right? So if you have not received eternal life or you are not sure that you have eternal life, I would urge you today not to leave the church unless you speak to me or speak to one of the elders about your life. Why? Because it is not just about that, but it is about eternal life. Because someday you will lay down this life and you will die and you will stand before your maker and you will have to give an account for every deed you did while you were yet in the body. So this is the important time to give your life to Jesus Christ. If you don't, there is a place called hell, you know, there is a place called hell, and people are dying and going to hell. They're dying every day and going to hell. And this doesn't have to do with age, all right? Anybody can die at any time. God didn't promise life to nobody. That's why every morning you wake up from the bed, put your two feet on the floor, you give them praise for that, that day, for life. Because you don't know when that's going to end. And that's why when you visit the cemetery, you see people of all ages in there, all right? So that should let us know that life is not promised to anyone here. But there is a life that is promised, and that life is eternal life in Jesus Christ. He tells you that if you give your life to him, he says that you will spend eternity with him in heaven for all ages. And that's something that everyone ought to be seeking. We don't want it because it is free. You know why salvation is free? It is free because it is too expensive for God to put a press tag on it. All right? That's why it is free. Because no amount of money in the world is able to buy your salvation. The richest man, you put all the rich people together, they cannot buy one salvation. And so God looked at it and said, I'm just giving free. All right? Money cannot buy it. 
No wealth can buy. Only the precious blood of the Lamb, Jesus Christ, can buy your salvation. The next thing is, now, he said, get born again. Next thing is, get growing again. Growing again. So some people stop growing. In Hebrews 6, one says, therefore, let us move beyond the elementary teachings about Christ and be taken forward to maturity, not laying aside the foundation of repentance from acts that leads to death and faith in God. Grow, he says, and move away from the elementary teaching. Imagine you send your, your kid to, to school and they cannot graduate elementary. They just stay in elementary all year long. Now they're 18 years old and still in the elementary. How are you going to feel about that? And that's how it is with many Christians. We don't know the Bible. We don't know nothing that God is saying. That's why when we step out in the, in the society and they start changing rules and changing laws and calling what is wrong right, we agree with them because we don't know God's word. This is what's important to grow up in your faith, that you can oppose to what is wrong and stand in the face, faces of them and tell them it is wrong. Stand in the faces of the politicians who believe in same-sex marriage, who believe that abortion is right, and tell them God says it is wrong. Oh, let me end this. So the last thing is get serving again. So get born again, get growing again, and lastly, get serving again. Romans 12, 10 to 11 says, Be devoted to one another in love. Honor one another above yourselves. Uh, never be lacking in zeal, but keep your spiritual fever serving the Lord. God saved you to serve him. That's it. That's the simplest way I can put it. He saved you to serve him. The reason why a lot of folks walk away from church and they, they're not there because they, they're not in service. You don't feel obligated. You don't feel like you're part of it. You don't feel like you need to be there. And you walk away. And I always use the analogy of the, of the, the, the grill, you know, grilling on charcoal. How many of you like to grill on charcoal? I love it. I love the smell on the meat. All right? I love it. And so, but, but can, can one coal cook anything? Can you take a coal out of the, the, the grill charcoal grill and put it aside and cook something on it? Have you done that before? I don't think anybody does that. Because if you do, that coal is going to go out. They have to be together to burn and make fire and make heat to cook something. And that's what the church is about. God wants us together. He doesn't want us separated. So if you are here today and you've walked out on God, I'm telling you, that decision is yours to make. No one is going to make it for you. Your parents would not. Your friends would not. Society would not. It is an inner personal decision that every person makes as they return to the Lord. I've been in the Lord for so many years, I can't even count from the time I was little. So somebody, oh, because you're the pastor, that's why. No, no, I've been faithful before I became the pastor. All right? And I am never going to quit on God. And I pray the same for all of you. I pray that these words from God this morning will encourage your hearts, keep you steadfast in your faith, knowing always that once you cling to him, he'll never bring you this far and leave you. God will not teach you to swim and let you drown. He won't build his home in you and move away or lift you up and let you down. In the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, amen.